This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British Royal history. Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode. To start off, we do have some news. On June 4th, 2021, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex welcomed into the world their newborn baby daughter, Lilibet Diana Mountbatten-Windsor. The little girl was born at Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital and both seem to be doing fairly well. The Office of the Royal Couple made the official statement, as well as the social medias for the Queen, the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, and Princess Eugenie. Prince Harry and Meghan named their newborn daughter after the Queen and Diana, Princess of Wales, which is very touching and a nice tribute. Lilibet comes from the nickname the Queen was given by her father, and we've seen this nickname appear quite a few times in the early seasons of The Crown. And of course, Diana is referring directly to Prince Harry's mother. They intend to use the nickname Lily when referring back to her and talking to her, and the public is very divided on this name selection. My opinion stands as it's their child they do what they want name you name your child however you want that's your business but the public has a very divided opinion about this some see it as a wonderful touching tribute and really support the selection of the names especially with the inclusion of diana as now both prince william and prince harry have daughters that have diana in their name however there are others that are on the other side of the coin why would you name your child in support of of the royal family and a tribute to the royal family after you've been so critical and at sometimes very harsh to them. They were very cold and you know, not supportive of you, so why are you naming your daughter in support of them? Why are you naming your daughter a nickname and not either Lil- Lillian or Elizabeth? So everybody's very divided on the name and the public seems to be divided more and more. Also, there are two different stories that have surfaced, one saying that Prince Harry did have the Queen's support, and the other saying that Prince Harry did not consult the Queen or any of the royals about it, so who knows where those stories are coming from, but they are circulating across social media, so be aware. But the public has very mixed feelings about the name of this little girl. One thing that is very interesting and little uh, little bit is a first is that she is a member of the royal family that was born in America. And being born in America gives you certain rights and privileges. Yes, by being born an American, Lilibet Diana does have some rights and privileges. And while she has the right to do so, she is also a member of the British royal family. And one of the things 
one of the things about the British royal family is that they can't hold political office. It says it in the Constitution. They have to be politically neutral. They can't declare a side. They can't be active in politics. And I personally doubt that Lilibet will, would will do anything like that because she doesn't have the right to being a member of the British royal family. So there's this weird contradiction here that, yes, as an American, she has the right, but as a member of the British royal family, she doesn't. So it's this weird quandary. And, you know, at some point, whether they use it or not, Archie and Little Lilibet will at one point be given the styles of Royal Highness and Prince and Princess. Once the Queen dies and Charles assumes the throne, they are then grandchildren of a monarch through the male line, and thus they will be granted those as declared with the uh, Declaration of the House of Windsor back in 1917. We already see this actually happen, not only do, of course, Prince Harry and Meghan still have their HRH style, they just aren't permitted to use it, but also the children of their royal highnesses, the early Countess of Wessex, Lady Louise, and the Viscount Severn, they are actually technically princes and princesses, they just do not have the, they're just not styled that way. Once they turn 18, if they wish to do so, then they have permission to do so, but every all commentators and historians will doubt that they'll ever do so. So uh, Lilibet and Archie will be in that same vein of, yes, they will have claims to it, but who knows if they'll actually use it. Little Lilibet is this fun constitutional quandary that she's both uh, royal and a member of the British royal family, but also an American. And so there's a weird quandary as to where she'll fall as she gets older, where her rights are, if she chooses to be politically minded. But Either way, congratulations and well wishes to the Duke and Duchess and their newborn baby girl. We are happy here at the podcast that at least both the mother and the daughter are doing well. Speaking of the Earl and Countess of Wessex, Prince Edward and Sophie sat down to do an interview on their own, of their own volition, and it went very well. In addition to being interviewed by the Telegraph magazine, the interview also gave us a few nice portraits of the couple. In the interview, they talked about their work for the Queen and also paying wonderful tribute to the late Duke of Edinburgh. One of the big things that they talked about in this interview was actually Prince Edward's feelings about the dukedom of Edinburgh and how Prince Philip, when he was alive, said that he wanted Prince Edward to assume the dukedom of Edinburgh when it could be his. And Prince Edward went on record saying that it actually would be bittersweet to assume the role. Yes, it'd be an honor. Yes, it'd be big shoes to fill. Yes, he, in some ways, you know, would try to fulfill the legacy of his father. But in order to get the title, both his parents have to die because the title has to revert back to the crown in order for it to be given to him. Because right now, Technically, Prince Charles has the Dukedom of Edinburgh being the eldest son. It's something that they were aware of and we, the public, have been marginally aware of since they got engaged and married in 1999, that Prince Philip wanted Prince Edward to assume the Dukedom when it could be his. But overall, the interview was wonderful and touching and really humanized them and also highlighted some of the more silent workers there, workhorses within the firm. They really do a lot of work and do a lot of great work, and they don't get a lot of recognition for it. So it's nice that they actually got a little bit of recognition and time in their own spotlight. So 
if you want to uh, read the full interview, it is available in the Telegraph magazine, and it is pretty interesting to read. To honor the passing of His Royal Highness the Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, Windsor Castle and the Palace of Hollywood House will be featuring a few exhibits that highlight some of uh, achievements and other high points in his life. The exhibition at Windsor Castle will be opening on June 24th, and the one at the Palace of Hollywood House will be opening on June 23rd. So once more information about that is public, aside as you know how it's set up, what's being featured, of course I'll report back and talk about it. But it's really wonderful to see that they'll be highlighting him at two, uh, two of the estates that are going to be open. One thing I find really cool is that they have his coronet and official robe that was worn at the coronation that will be on display, which I don't think we've seen since the coronation. I don't think yet that's been out of the archive since then. So it's awesome and really cool to see the consort's coronet and the consort's robes from the coronation. There is, of course, some royal drama that made its way on Twitter that was... It was weird because why were we talking about it? But enough people talked about it that it started to make ripples, but... In the new fashion exhibit at Kensington Palace, the HRH was officially removed from Prince Harry's name on the little placard associated and attached to Princess Diana's wedding dress. First of all, I didn't know or was actually put two and six together and realized that actually Prince William and Prince Harry own Princess Diana's wedding dress and everything that she wore for the wedding except for the tiara. I thought the Spencer family owned the dress and everything associated with it. I didn't know that Harry and William owned the wedding dress. So that was news to me when this story came out that, oh, actually the Spencer family doesn't own it. Harry and William own it. But two, this is in my mind, no surprise. The Royal Collection is run by the crown. It's a part of the crown and when Prince Harry left royal work, that was one thing, that was a stipulation. Yes, you can leave, yes, you can be independent, you can be on your own, but you can't use your HRH style anymore except for incredibly formal occasions such as the coronation or anything such as that high of caliber. This isn't a formal occasion, this is just an exhibit at Kensington Palace, so of course it's no shocker to me that the Royal Collection wouldn't have his HRH with his style and title. He's not allowed to use it, and it's a, something that is directly associated with the firm. So in my mind, it's no surprise that they didn't allow it to be there, or they took it off, but it, it made people feel a certain way. It has been formally announced that the U.S. President Joe Biden and the First Lady Dr. Jill Biden will be making an official visit to England. It is a part of a larger eight-day trip to the U.K., Belgium, and Switzerland. And the big thing that they're talking about is the G7 summit, which is something that we won't be going into because this is not a political analyst podcast, but they are going over to England. This isn't an official state visit, though. So it's not going to be as formal and there's not going to be a lot of time spent with the royal family, but there is time set aside. The trip will start on Wednesday, June 9th, and it will go until June 16th, and that is when he will be going to the UK, Belgium, and Switzerland. And not many details about what's going to happen specifically are released, but at least the general gist of each day is available to be seen. One thing to note, um, President Biden is meeting with both Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Her Majesty the Queen 
On June 10th is when the President and the Prime Minister will meet, and on June 13th, the President and First Lady will be heading over to Windsor Castle to have a visit with the Queen. By all accounts, because they have to get on a plane later that day, it'll be probably a shorter meeting. Uh, we don't know what they're going to be talking about or what they're going to be doing at the time of recording, but they are meeting, and it's unknown if other members of the royal family, such as the Prince of Wales or the Duke of Cambridge, will be in attendance, but we at least know that the First Lady and the President will be meeting with Her Majesty the Queen. The main purpose, of course, is not only the G7 summit, but with the President going over to the United Kingdom, it is to, quote, reaffirm the special relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom. But again, we won't be talking about what they're covering in the G7 summit because this is not a political podcast. It's a history podcast. Now that we've gotten through the big news stories of the past week, if you are feeling inclined and would like to donate to the podcast to support it and make it better, you do have two options to do so. There is a one-time PayPal link that is pinned on the Twitter homepage at fanatic underscore royal. And there is a monthly donation link on the Anchor homepage. I would really appreciate if you would donate and help improve the podcast. This will help on all fronts, from editing software, research materials, just in general better equipment, and much more. Your donations will help in every way possible. Today's topic, you've seen the title at the end of the episode, Has There Been a Gay Royal Wedding? Well, kinda. Pride Month is very important across the globe as celebrations are beginning to take place, even though we are still in a COVID world. But last year, there wasn't very much of a Pride uh, festivities, and this year, we're actually having some. As we begin our Pride Month celebration here at the podcast, we are taking a retrospective and look back at some LGBT moments in royal and British peerage history. And in some ways, yeah, there's kind of been a gay royal wedding, and it did get some press, but it's not the main royal family. It's within the extended royal family. And it is a very cute and very interesting and touching moment of royal history. In September of 2018, the Queen's cousin, Lord Ivar Mountbatten, married his long-term partner and now husband, James Coyle. It was a quiet and private family ceremony, but history was still made nonetheless. This was the first same-sex marriage in the royal family. Well, extended royal family. When talking about this, we have to go back a century, and we need to talk about the formal declaration and formation of the House of Windsor in 1917. And one thing to remember is that those that have the surname Mountbatten were actually princes and princesses of Battenberg and had German affiliation. And one thing that we have to keep in mind is that when this house was formally declared in 1917, referring to the House of Windsor, the princes and princesses of Battenberg had to give up their German styles and titles with the formation of the House of Windsor. They had to relinquish everything German associated with them. In doing so, they actually got new titles. They didn't get new styles, so they aren't princes and princesses of the United Kingdom anymore. No, 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 no. But they did get new titles, and what did they get? They got the Marquisdom of Milford Haven, and they got the Earldom of Mountbatten of Burma. And Battenberg, loosely translated over to English, you get Mountbatten. So that is how that came about, how the Battenbergs became Mountbattens. But there's also a lot of connections to the royal family through the Battenbergs. In giving this Marquisdom and the Earldom, it was a way to distance themselves from anti-German 
from any German affiliations because think timeline-wise, we're at the end of World War One. There's still a lot of anti-German sentiment and feelings in England at the time. So this was a way to help them survive, do something nice for them, and still have them, you know, be a part of the British royal family because they still were. How did the Battenbergs get to be associated and into the British royal family? Well, one way is through Queen Victoria. One of Queen Victoria's daughters, the Princess Alice, married Louis IV, the Grand Duke of Hessen by Rhine. They had a daughter, Princess Victoria of Hessen by Rhine, who then married Prince Louis of Battenberg. So that's how we get there. Another connection is Lord Mountbatten was Prince Philip's uncle and Princess Alice of Battenberg, Prince Philip's mother. So we have another connection through Queen Victoria and Prince Philip is how we get to the royal family being connected to the Bat- to the Mountbattens. But that's just two ways. There's many ways how the Battenbergs are connected to the, to the royal family. And of course, in 1961, the surname of the royal family was changed from Windsor to Mountbatten-Windsor which is why little Lilibet Diana and little Archie Harrison have Mountbatten-Windsor as their surname, not just Windsor. So there's a whole bunch of connections between the two, but that is a quick explanation as as to how the Mountbattens are members of the extended royal family. Lord Ivar Mountbatten is a third cousin once removed from Her Majesty the Queen. Lord Ivar was born in 1963 and is the second and youngest child of the third Marquess and Marchioness of Milford Haven. Today, Lord Ivar is known as being a businessman, a farmer, and a geologist. He does have a moderately close relationship to Prince Edward and Sophie, as not only Lord Ivar is one of the godfathers to Lady Louise, but Prince Edward and Sophie are godparents to two of his three daughters, respectively. It's a little unclear how he came out, but Lord Ivar came out at some point in 2016. That's his business, how he decided to do so, but publicly it was 2016 when he officially came out. But he was, he did live a different life beforehand. He was married to a woman, Penelope Veer Thompson, in 1994. So he was married to a woman, and they had three daughters, Ella, Alexandra, and Louise. And by all accounts, things, things really seemed good. There really wasn't much to note of about his life then. In 2011, they had a fairly amicable divorce, and they seemed to be not only on good terms before, good terms afterwards. It all seems like they still understand each other and have a pretty strong relationship. Shortly after coming out, Lord Ivar made it public that he was in a relationship with a man by the name of James Coyle, who was an airline cabin services director. Who knows exactly how long they've been together that that's relatively private and that's their business, but it is known that they met at a ski resort while on holiday. So sometime after 2011 and before 2016, when the announcement was made that not only Lord Ivar uh, was gay and that he was with James Coyle is when they met. They've kept things private and that's their business. And that's just how things are. In 2018, shortly after the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan, it was announced that Lord Ivar and James Coyle were to get married and eventually did get married in a private ceremony and reception. All three of his daughters were involved in the wedding, and even his ex-wife Penelope walked him down the aisle to give him away. The couple was married by Trish Hergate, the chief register of Devon, and is. And Lord Ivar went on record saying, quote, 
who set the perfect but lighthearted tone for what is a serious occasion. The music was provided by the Bristol's Teachers Rock Choir, and the ceremony took place at Bridwell Park. Bridwell Park is a former home that he had that he converted into an event space for uh, for, for business, and so he essentially got married in what was his home. The world knew of the event when Lord Ivar posted to social media, specifically Instagram, a picture of him and his new husband and a wonderful touching caption commemorating it with his family and it was a very touching uh, post that he made on Instagram with his new husband. And Lord Ivar previously said that he could have done without the official ceremony, but he decided to have one for his new husband James, saying that, quote, for me, what's interesting is I don't need to get married because I've been there, done that, and have my wonderful children, but I'm pushing it because I think it's important to him. James hasn't had the stable life I have. I want to be able to give you that. So that's really, it shows, again, how devoted he is to him, wanting to give him something that he's never had before. The whole event was incredibly low-key. There isn't much details made public about it other than it happened. They didn't have official portraits taken. They didn't have a first dance. They didn't have a cake ceremony. That's just something they weren't interested in. Around 120 guests were present for the ceremony and the reception. And it's unclear, really, if any members of the royal family actually attended. And when I mean royals in this regard, I mean senior members. So Her Majesty the Queen, Prince Philip, because he was alive at the time the Prince of Wales, the Duchess of Cornwall, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, the Earl and Countess of Wessex. It's it's unclear if any other members of the royal family went, but we do know officially that Prince William and Catherine were not in attendance. As that same weekend, around that same time, they had a wedding of their own that they had to attend. Lord Ivar and James have been happily married ever since, and it's really refreshing and nice to see that his ex-wife was so supportive and his daughters were involved and everybody seems to really be on board and supporting each other. And they're, again, as I've said multiple times, they're a relatively private couple and that's their business, but history was made that day. We hear a lot of stories within the peerage and in history of these gay relationships or lesbian relationships or people that were possibly trans and kept it secret and they don't get to live out their lives in the peerage. There's They don't get to do what it is they want. So it's really wonderful to see that a member of the peerage could have their happy ending and be their most authentic self and have such a wonderful support system around them. In history was made that day. It was, yes, a member of the fringe royal family, an extended member, but history was still made that day. It was a same-sex royal wedding, albeit different than what we were expecting. You know, Hallmark and romance novels have us, you know, on pins and needles hoping for this huge, large, expansive royal wedding, but they got to have what they wanted. And it's really wonderful that they can have their happy ending, and so far, by all accounts, everything seems to be good. But there you have it, dear listeners. There has been a gay royal wedding within the royal family. It's just a little bit removed and an extended member of the royal family. Who knows what will happen in the future? I know Prince William has gone on record, I believe it was with Attitude magazine a few years ago, was that he doesn't necessarily care the gender identity or sexual orientation of his kids as long as they're happy. So who knows what the future will hold and if we'll have one with a more senior member of the royal family. Who knows? That's their business. But that is a very brief story of the first same-sex marriage within the royal family. 
a landmark moment in royal history. My sources for today's episode are Harper's Bazaar, The Telegraph Magazine, Reuters, and Wikipedia. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. I really appreciate you being here. If you'd like to recommend topics for future episodes or let me know how I'm doing so I can keep improving the show, you can drop me a line over at the official email, which is britishroyalfanpod at gmail.com. Any and all suggestions are welcome, and I look forward to hearing from you if you do decide to send an email. Again, if you are wishing to donate and feel so inclined, there are two ways you can do so. The first is over on PayPal with the link on Twitter and over on Anchor with more monthly donations. Anything at all is wonderfully appreciated. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and more to rate, review, subscribe, and share. The more you do that, the family keeps growing and more people can join the podcast family. And I look forward to the future. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe and stay healthy. Do something nice for someone. And I'll see you in the next one.